As much as I like to fight everyone, yeah, yeah. I'm having a pretty good time here. Why are you mad? Why are you mad? Why are you, Why mad? you mad? Okay, recording. All right. Hey, Lisa, what's up? Hi, Jake. Nothing. Uh, I'm in a in a mood. How about you? Uh, same man. I don't know. I think I have weird pre-tour depression where I'm like <laughs> questioning <laughs> everything. A... Mm-hmm. Um, but let me tell you about this movie I watched. Uh, okay, okay, okay. It was Why You Maddish. Um, spoilers. Anybody wants to go watch it? I movie. legit thought you were gonna say it's called Why You Mad. I was like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> no, go. Sorry, go go. Um, anybody that doesn't want this movie spoiled should not listen. Uh, it's new. It's in theaters. It's pretty crazy. I don't know if it's spoilable because I do not understand the plot. So don't worry about that. But um, it was kind of cool to go in watching it blind. So I heard a bunch of people just tweeting like, you got to watch this movie. It's crazy. Holy shit. That blew my mind. Right. And so I thought, OK, this sounds like um, it's very experimental, weird film. I'm going to go watch it. So it's called Everything Everywhere All the Time. And uh it's like Chinese, I think. And it's uh, but it's like there's like American actors in it too. It's uh I don't know how it got made, I don't know anything about it, right? But um basically it's this story. It starts off <clears throat> and it's like the main character is this middle-aged Chinese woman. And uh right off the bat, that's cool. You don't see that at all right um they were kind of doing like previews at the theater because it was like a cool theater or whatever they were like doing all this like girl boss asian woman leading in a movie stuff and i was like is this just what the point of the movie is well it's your no and yes kind of interesting um so it's this woman and she is like a mom and her daughter is like a teenager who is a lesbian and uh she's got this husband they own a laundromat together her husband's kind of this like dorky old man and then her father is like this older guy who is like gonna die soon but they are getting together for chinese new year and uh the daughter the youngest character wants to um you know introduce her girlfriend and then they're kind of having this conflict of like, should we tell him or should we just wait for him to die? Because uh, he's so old and he won't understand and all this stuff. And the other thing that's happening is that they're being audited. And so they go, keep going to this tax office and they're trying to explain all these things that, that she expensed because it's like tax season. And she's getting into all this trouble because they're like, okay, so you expensed a karaoke machine here. How does that go to a laundromat? like as a business expense and she keeps saying stuff like oh well you see i'm a singer like i'm a professional singer so that's why i expensed the laundry machine and they go okay well you expensed all these tennis rackets like what's that about she goes well i you know i'm also like a a tennis person (laughs) and you expense this you know set of cutting knives and she's like well i'm also a master chef and so they keep going like you can't expense these things unless you actually use them for your business these are hobbies and yeah. he, the husband is freaking out. He's like, we're going to get fucking, we're going to lose all his money. He pleads with the tax auditor and he says, oh, no, no, no. Listen, my wife, she just gets confused about whether her hobbies are actual businesses. We'll take care of it. We'll fix everything. <laughs> <laughs> and um, then as they're like walking out of the uh, 
the tax office, this thing happens where her husband like turns to her in an elevator and he puts like this umbrella up so the camera can't see her in the elevator and he like kind of his voice changes for a minute and he goes, Meet me in the janitor's closet. I everything's gonna sound uh everyone's gonna tell you to walk left when we get out of the elevator, walk right, meet me in the janitor's closet. Um, we have to go in there and do all this crazy fucking thing and fight somebody and yada yada yada. And she's like, What? And then he's like, I'm serious, but you have to do it. It's very important, yada yada yada. And then like he twicks the umbrella down and then he um you know they go to leave and they walk out into the the, the office and um i can't I think she like goes into the janitor's closet it, it, so it turns into like a matrix type thing where he starts explaining he's like i'm actually your husband i'm your husband from a different timeline like a different like um you know reality or whatever basically alternate reality i jumped into this timeline because i'm trying to find you and so then it turns into this thing where he basically explains that there's all these different timelines and that in the timeline he's from the main one's called the alpha verse um their like daughter is this evil warlord crazy intergalactic person <laughs> and like her mom the mom character is like kind of the reason that the person's that the daughter turned evil and stuff and that um the they're they're trying to find like the neo like the ultimate uh evelyn is her name yeah to come back and fight the daughter and like turn everything back to normal and stuff and it's really funny because like in order to like jump like from universe to universe you have to do something that's like very out of the ordinary in the situation to like fry the circuitry of the universe so like he takes out a, he's about to get attacked by a bunch of people. He takes out a piece of chapstick and he eats the entire chapstick. And everyone's like, why the fuck does this guy just eat a chapstick? And then suddenly he can do like Kung Fu. And so he explains after the fight, you have to jump off by doing something really out of the ordinary. Like there's like, you know, you're talking to the person on a headset back at the alpha verse and they're going to tell you, oh, you have to like piss your pants right now. Or you have to lay down in this elevator or whatever. Do something really odd. They tell you what the specific thing is that fucks up the universe, and then that allows you to travel and to go find another version of yourself and learn a skill. So you go grab a skill from an alternate you, and you bring it back, and you use it to fight whoever you're fighting in that universe. So like, then this whole plot un unfurls, and she learns how to do it, and they get into all these fights, and like while you're fighting someone, so while she's fighting someone, she'll be like, oh shit, someone's coming at me, and they know how to do like professional wrestling moves. Okay well fuck uh what do i do to verse jump and the person tells her like oh you have to like lick a wall or something so she goes and licks the wall and then phew, her brain, brain goes crazy and she's able to like jump into the matrix and her how you fight is she goes like looks through the all the multiverses and then finds like a version of hers that's really good at like throwing axes or something and then goes grabs that person downloads the information comes back now she can do throwing axe fighting or whatever and uh that's kind of like this this is the beginning of the movie right so then it fucking it goes from there into just the most crazy convoluted like plot of all time like i could it kept expanding i could not follow thematically what they were trying to say after a while but the first part the first part of it i i was like i was like really into it at first kind of lost me but i was really into it because i was like oh i kind of get what they're doing here because what's going on is you have this middle-aged woman 
and she has all these hobbies and all these things that she like wanted to do with her life. Well, when she needs to go like verse jump to go find her karate skills or whatever from another version of herself, she has to start searching through all these alternate timelines. And in some of them where she's able to find like the karate skills and shit like that, there are timelines where she like didn't marry her husband and she's like a famous actress and stuff like that. And that actress knows how to do Kung Fu because she's in Kung Fu movies and stuff like that. So she goes and she shakes down that version of herself. She gets the fucking, you know, Kung Fu and she fights whatever, but she does this over and over and over again. And you start to realize like, Oh, the multiverse thing is a metaphor for all of the different ways her life could have gone, which is also known as hauntology in Mark Fisher philosophy, you know, which is like the idea of uh, lost futures. So anyone doesn't know that term, I throw it around a lot. It means um, it's like a term that kind of Derrida came up with, but then Mark Fisher like wrote a book about afterwards and really like put a finite point on. And the kind of idea is just about like, um, I mean, it's really basic philosophical concept that, you know, he's using on a historical timeline about um, your nostalgia for like, you know, things that could have happened in history and then didn't. And like, um, you know, like the failures of all the communist revolutions and stuff like that. Um, But it's like funny because it's also um, he he like Mark Fisher explains it with music where he says like. Uh, everyone just stopped writing new music, which is kind of a Gen X opinion that he just, you know, music stopped being interesting to him in the 90s. But he talks about how, like, in the 90s, when the when the uh, end of history, quote unquote, you know, sort of happened or was declared by Fukuyama, um, like musicians stopped doing this thing that they used to do throughout the 20th century, which is every 10 years, like a new genre of music would happen. Um, his kind of thing is yeah in the 90s that's like the last thing you got was this brick wall where you sort of like started sampling everything and making electronic music all music is derivative of older music yada 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 um so what we're doing is like by by being a modern musician who like makes swing music or disco or something like that you are engaging in hauntology because you're like going back to a time where things could have you know sort of not gone into the future that we're in that sucks and feeling like um nostalgia for it right uh i think it's like a good metaphor for like kind of what's going on in this movie because eventually you start to see her yearning for like like she'll jump into the reality where she's like a sushi chef at fucking um benihana and she's like wow i wonder what that life was like or when she's like the actress and she's at the oscars and stuff she's like i wonder what that life is like and like um and then i think this all has the the like the other theme overlaying it is i think with her daughter she's having like this crisis of understanding that her daughter is like breaking away from traditional like gender roles and stuff like that and like you know it's coming into conflict with like literally like the embodiment of their past like the grandfather and stuff like that and uh and that's as far as i can explain the movie until it just goes completely insane with like jump cuts and like weird new characters introduced and stuff like that but it made me think about like your colon tie thing you know about like the uh the idea that like you know people are realizing or maybe they aren't realizing (laughs) that like they could have done all these things with their lives yeah and just feeling kind of like vague remorse about it and stuff and that's interesting that you 
bring that up. Well, I haven't seen the movie, so I can't comment on the movie. But like from what you're describing, um, that's definitely the vibe it's giving. It's kind of like a, have you seen? I think Sliding Doors is what it's called. It's like a that's Gwyneth a Paltrow. No, it's a Gwyneth Paltrow movie. And it's like old. I mean, if I fucking summarize this wrong, don't yell at me. I forgot. Uh, it's like an old ass, maybe 90s movie, actually, that is like, it's probably early 2000s. It's like, uh, she's like, a, I don't know, herself. She's like a business lady who's taking the, the tube in London. And she uh, like goes to get on a train and like the door slams shut in front of her and she like misses the train or some shit. So then somehow she's able to see that her life would have been completely different if she hadn't missed that train because of like one thing that happened. Yeah. So, you know, I do think that this is like a a common recurring theme, at least in the West, uh, this like regret of not knowing the path not walked. Right. And what's funny is that Cole and Ty, so I finished the um, her autobiography and what is really fucking awesome for me personally about it is that she ends with like basically saying like Jake there is no she mentions at the beginning <laughs> and maybe some people would be like oh she's a bad mom she's a bad woman whatever but you you're a fucking trad probably <laughs> so she uh she mentions at the beginning that she got married you know like she came from a fairly well-off family and she got an education. But then of course that means you get married and you fucking become a housewife. So then she has her first kid and she was still into like uh, labor stuff basically. So she went to a women's like labor uh, protest. She also participated in like the uh, laundry labor po- protests. Like her whole shit was always uh, communism, but from the direction and from the point of view very much acknowledging women's positionality and all of capitalism and everything that Marx and everyone was saying. Right. And so she uh, goes to like a factory where she's uh, getting to hear some workers talk about their, their um, conditions and all this shit and their problems. And she just has the realization that her job or that the thing she has to do is like fight for this fight and so she basically leaves her kid with her husband and she goes off for like two years to like basically learn and help with all these grassroots movements right labor movements and protests and then she just basically like never really comes back to her family jake (laughs) and then he like (laughs) sort of leaves her is what we gather but the funny thing about this is that her autobiography, that's it. It never mentions the kid again. We don't know what the kid is called. <laughs> we don't know what happened to the kid or what its name is or anything. And then at the end, she, she like concludes with the fact that she will, she will never regret. She says something like, I will never regret that all of the uh, industry and effort of my life went towards the singular goals of the emancipation of women and workers. Yeah. And I got to tell you, like, the reason that that was like really beautiful to me is because partially because I don't, you know, I guess I think about the the lane not walk sometimes, especially because like on Instagram, let's say you could see the person who was my best friend in high school and how she's married with three kids and like what her life is like. And if I hadn't left Miami and I got gotten married also to a guy that we also went to high school with, you know, like my life would be like her life. You know what I mean? So it's like a little mirror sort of uh, the uh, looking glass situation. Right. But I've never, ever thought about it in a, 
I wish things were different or I wish I had done something differently. I am, if anything, like, I guess the older I get, the more reassured I am that I put my efforts towards the things and the ideals that I wanted to put my efforts towards. Yeah. And to read from someone like Colin Ty, who, you know, definitely achieved great things and I'm not comparing myself to her at all <laughs> in that way. But then also, I guess, sort of lost a lot of the achievements that she had, right, by the time of her death. And lost, like, even respect from her comrade, not respect, but support. Because, uh, so for people, I guess, who don't know, uh, as happens, <laughs> right, uh, once the Soviet Union was, like, <clears throat> involved in um, wars with outside, you know, outside of the Soviet Union, and was being like really squeezed financially by having to sustain all these wars on multiple fronts. The first things that got um, decimated were social programs that were meant to help women. So a lot of Kolontai's own programs were the first things that the uh, Soviet Union undid as it was trying to survive, right? Yeah. Um, but it's still like, she still set some precedents that are incredible that are just like, you know, still the only system of thought that ever included um, what do we actually do to sustain the family and to sustain women as equals and to not use the family as a subsidizing of labor for capitalism, <laughs> you know, like uh, just amazing stuff. But then it also like beyond those of us that inspired, I guess, you know, maybe it's not something you could physically point to or hold in your hands, like wealth or trophies or you know <laughs> and yet she was happy and proud of what she chose her path to be yeah i just been thinking about this a lot because like yeah. i can't help it i'm trying to learn from you i'm trying to write things on my fucking mirror and the i look up <laughs> i look at when i wake up in the morning i'm trying to like unprogram myself yeah but i am just so freaked out by uh getting older every year and being like yeah. white knuckle like i'm really doing this thing and like starting to wonder you know okay like is it insane to keep going and like should i go back to college and get the fucking you know actual job <laughs> that a person needs Don't to have <laughs> to make it in the world i know it's like i fucking but i like have the voice and i'm like Jake, i also am constantly like should i just go back and get a, get like finished because i technically <laughs> dropped out of my phd <laughs> and then i because i was like i don't want to be a professor i don't need but, to be called doctor but then all the time it's not because i want to it's because it's like safety yeah because I, yeah because well, i it's, know it's like a traditional path that would offer me traditional validation i know like intellectually that yeah there are because like this movie is like kind of fun because it's like um it's like Rick and Morty or something where there's like yeah. different versions of yourself yeah. and I know there are different versions of me out there and there's not like if I went into the multiverse and found another one of me this other person would be like I moved to LA instead of New York and everything went great it would be like the same guy like man I wonder if I should have moved to New York instead of yeah, LA yeah. <laughs> exactly or like I mean I there's so many people you know, you, you catch back up with them on like social media or whatever, and they just took the straight path. And you're like, what is your life like? And they're like, you know, kind of sad. And they're like, what's yours like? And then you tell yeah. them and you're like, and you're like kind of sad, too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, but for like, different in different reasons. ways. Yeah. Like, I feel yeah. 
unsafe and I don't know what yeah. the is like. And they're like, oh, my life's so stable, but it's like a hell because it's just yeah. so stable and I don't ever do anything <laughs> and like trapped with these kids in this house yeah. and this fucking relationship. And it's just like you can't fucking win. But yeah. like I get mired down in it real bad. And I'm just like trying to figure out how to beat that because like, I don't know, man, this is also weird because like I uh, something that's been freaking me out a lot lately recently. And I hope she doesn't mind if she hears I talked about this, but it's just a friend of mine who I um like knew in my 20s in Austin and then kept, you know, whatever, just Instagram friends with or whatever and like would see her story and shit. And like she got into a car accident shortly after I think we were both living in the same city. So I was never around, but I like saw it on the internet and then I saw her like with this weird cast thing on her leg and stuff years ago you know like five or six or seven or eight nine maybe ten years ago at this point <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> like you know and then a few years later she'd like be posting like ah physical therapy again man that car crash really changed my life i started uh, drinking and all this stuff yeah. and um you know moved to this other city and now i was living this other life the other day i'm just like sitting around on the toilet or something and i like look at instagram and it's i put on a post from her and it's like a fucking picture from the like hospital bed like legs down and she's the fucking foot's been removed and she's like lol like chopped it off and so the first thing i think is like oh my god like are you okay like i texted her and i went like are you all right and she was like and this is what's crazy because i've had this happen before i had another friend who posted the same thing and she was like in a horrible car accident and she like has been another person I've been like kind of morbidly curiously watching throughout life and going like, what's that person's life like, you know, but this person I fucking DM'd her and I was like, yo, are you okay? Cause I thought she got into an accident or something. And she was like, yeah, man, it just, after years and years of like the you know residual pain and infections and stuff like that, I made the decision to fucking knock the Cut chop it off. Yeah. And then I said, congratulations with a question mark. And she was yeah. like, yeah, <laughs> and yes, like period. Yeah. Was like, and like what I can't fathom is how fucking cool she is about this and like how <laughs> confident it is. Cause I'm like, this would like terrify me to no end, you know? But yeah. like, that's where I'm trying to get. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, that's <laughs> where you'd be like, fucking chop it off. Yeah. Like, I'm uh, so confident yeah. in the paths that you're taking. Like, yeah, I actually had it. I thought I had nothing to tell you about, but I did. I do now. Um, so I watched a movie, which I guess is maybe a compliment to your concerns with this everything, everywhere, all the time, whatever it's called. <laughs> uh-huh. um, but it's this movie called Master that just came out. It was just released on Amazon this week, I think. Have you heard of it or no? No. So it's uh, technically it's like a thriller drama or whatever, but I'm going to lump it a little bit into the uh, non-white horror category. Right. And it is um, it wasn't like. Oh, yeah, it it is a psychological horror thriller, I think. But I think it like one. Oh, no, it had its premiere at Sundance. That's what it was. And uh, it is written and directed by a, a African-American woman. I want to say maybe American. I'm not sure. Uh, I didn't look up anything about the director. But she, the movie is interesting because it's, um, I guess it's about academia, right? So at first, I was like, well, this seems boring. Uh, why would I watch this? <laughs> right? But then, uh, you know, they see the cast and it stars Regina Hall, who I like very much, uh, especially because like, in, at least for me, Regina Hall was like a comedic actress always. 
and she's really fucking good at it. And personally, I think that comedic acting is harder than every other kind of acting. <laughs> and uh, so therefore, when a comedic actor does horror, I always think it turns out really, really well. So I was really interested to see this, right? And so master, it refers to... Um, it's a term like for the head of a college in a university, especially like in uh, the UK, they use that. So it's like, gotcha. you know, like a dean of students is a commonly used American one, right? Um, and so in the movie, Regina Hall plays a tenured professor who is, um, I guess, recently appointed. And now she's like the first black master at a like uh, prestigious long-standing American college that you can read to be like a Harvard or a Yale, right? But it's called like a Anna, uh, Anna, Ancaster or some shit like that. It's like a made-up college, right? And so she gets appointed and what happens is she has to like move into this like old-timey fucking colonial sort of house that's on the campus of the school that's always the house where the master of this college lives, Right. Um, and it starts, the story starts with her, but there's three main character black women. Okay. And the first one is this one, the master. Um, and she moves into the house, Jake. And from the very beginning, uh, there are little things like she finds like a mammy cookie jar in the cabinets. Cause remember this house gets passed on to whoever has this position from whomever had it before. So if it's like a fucking Yale or a Harvard, <laughs> this was like a fucking slave owner's house at one point. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so she keeps like finding this weird sort of shit. Uh, like in the in the attic, she finds like um old like boxes of old old ass documents that include like uh phrenology sketches of Africans. Okay. So like imagine, you know, that's fucking horrifying. <laughs> so it's weird because yeah. it's like. Uh, I recommend it because it's got this whole like weird, oh, it's like a, a haunted house sort of horror. But then you see that it's like both like super racial, which is like terrifying if it's about your race. And then also it is sort of about a haunted house that's like full of scary uh, like national ghosts, <laughs> you know, like a historical fucking shit. And so she's like already like, oh, so then she's also like living under all this pressure of like she has to do a video for like the diversity fucking shit for the university because, you know, they're going to milk the shit out of the fact that they have like their first black woman master, you know, in this position. So they like make her do speeches, whatever. And she's just, you know, minding her P's and Q's and feeling proud of herself because she is achieving shit. You know, she's uh, uh, she's got status. So in a way, it's this movie about this person who's doing what you're saying where she did walk the path of doing all of the correct things and putting up with all the weird shit. So then she starts, so she's obviously the only black tenured professor um, on the staff. And so when she meets with the other like white professors who are tenured, they are like, you know, they expect her, they ask her to like clean up after them, <laughs> you know, like uh, it's fucking disrespectful, disrespectful and horrifying. And they make comments that are horrible, which I'll get to in a, in a minute. But then there's like another. So then she is the one that's going around being like, I'm trying my best to do, you know, like just be the best person I can do all the things I'm supposed to do, succeed everything on paper. Right. 
And then uh, we have another professor who's like a light-skinned Black woman, or lighter-skinned, I guess, than the other one, I should say, which matters because it will matter, all right? And so then um, she is not tenured, so she occupies this more precarious position where she is very much trying to have the safety of the job of tenure that uh, Regina Hall's character has, even though she is extremely, like, um, I guess, radical and militant and vocal about being like anti some of the like white supremacy shit that this campus has done and stuff like that. You know, like she's the vocal like black power professor on campus. And part of the, and they kind of like let you know that part of the reason she hasn't been tenured yet is because of that, because she's a fucking boat shaker or whatever, you, you know, like she's always causing problems basically. And then we cut to a young black freshman girl who is her first fucking day and she gets to the school and she goes into her dorm room and she has a white girl roommate, right? Obviously, because almost everybody's white. And um, now we started with the horror. So the, the second one had this like sort of persecution horror where she is trying to be honest and be herself and, and fucking uh risk safety to herself by speaking truth to power whenever possible right but then she is constantly suffering the horror of precarious existence right and then the third one is the girl and she remember like if she's going to this Yale type school she was probably like one of the best students wherever she came from uh and very much deserves to be here and so then she goes in and it's like a triple layer of horror (laughs) of like you know the weird shit of like what it must be like to move away when you're like 17 or something for the first time to go live with a bunch of people of a different class and a different race who that you want to be friends with but then they're like they're snarky and they start to treat her as like shitty you know like to making her get them food and stuff like that you know um and then uh, there's a point where one of the boys that her roommate liked, like kisses her at a party and the roommate sees it. So the next morning, somebody um, had uh, like had scraped the word leave on her bedroom door, her dorm door, uh, and put a rope noose on the door, Jake. So it's like, so now we see the younger girl just go through all of this, like, quote, hazing and like shitty racialized hateful shit where even though she earned her spot into this place of like now trying to walk the same path as the Regina Hall character, she is being like exiled and pushed out and bullied and like at every turn being made to feel like she doesn't belong here. Right. Like a Cosby and Dick Gregory kind of. Yeah. But then it starts to be actual, like it's a shadow following her around campus. (laughs) Yeah. So it's like an actual, thing where so then she's also reading about this like uh the first black girl who went to that college killed herself okay so she is doing like a project and she's like reading up about her and then um you know i'm gonna ruin this movie for everyone but basically she fucking she thinks the shadows are chasing her because like nobody believes her she keeps saying that there's like evil and people trying to get her and people don't believe her so it is this thing of like kind of like racism and like uh uh, indirect racism, what do you call it? Like hidden racism where um, 
when somebody then turns around and says like this person is doing something to me but it's not blatantly obvious that they're doing it there's then you seem crazy <laughs> because you're like well you're reading into whatever because you didn't hear the tone of how they said that to me or whatever you know yeah. so she basically gets driven crazy right um metaphorically and in trying to run away from the ghost she jumps out of a window and she almost dies and she's like in the hospital and then Regina Hall's character comes to visit her in the hospital. So sorry for this long explanation. We're going to get to something good. So Regina's, Regina Hall's character comes to visit her in the hospital, you know, and it is in this way of like, oh, you're one of my students. But it's also like you're a young black girl student who I, you know, identify with and would want to take care of and stuff. So she comes to visit her in the hospital. And when the girl starts crying and tells her that she wants to go home and she never wants to go back to that place again. Regina Hall basically says to her, like, no, you can't quit. <laughs> She's like, you know, we you don't think I went through this. We all went through this. This is uh, part of what we have to do is just, you know, uh, put a, put on a better face and show them that we can handle it. And then it's weird because Regina Hall is kind of like talking about institutionalized racism and like all of the fucking shit that black women in this particular situation have to deal with. But like, I guess, you know, black people in on most or all situations. And again, it's all very weird because it's also like in a very privileged space that this is happening, but there are like three different versions of the attempt of how to like be successful or find safety in this space. So the young girl ends up killing herself. And then Regina Hall is like uh, out of her mind with guilt because she realizes that she's the one that told her that she should stay, that she had to stay. And she starts to think like, you know, what is the point of this? Like, why did I do all of this? You know, uh, it wasn't the point to like make it better for the younger people after me. And instead, like I didn't help her at all. I told her that she had to just come and deal with all of the shit that I dealt with. Right. So Regina Hall didn't do the pulling the ladder up behind her thing, but she did the insisting that because I went through something shitty, you also should go through something shitty thing that then broke the younger version of herself. And then the middle one, when Regina Hall tells her this, like, that she feels guilty and that maybe this was all for nothing and I don't know why I'm doing this. The second professor, the not tenured one, she got tenure basically because the young girl killed herself. So the school trying to, like, sort of do like a little PR cover up because they're a black student just killed themselves on campus. Well, now we can just cover that up a little bit by in- announcing that we just tenured another black woman professor, right? So they give her the tenure, even though right before they had been talking about not giving it to her, right? Because of all her crazy explosive rhetoric and shit. Yeah. And what this professor says, I should remember the fucking names. I literally just watched this movie. Uh, Gail, uh, Liv, that's one. So Liv, when he when she hears Gail, the master, telling her this, like, uh, you know, I don't even know why I'm doing why we're doing this. Liv says, oh, I'm sorry, but I know why I'm doing this. I, I've been working all this time to just reach some sort of level of safety. And maybe you've never felt this precariousness and you don't know what you have. But all I have done is to get to this. So Liv basically says it's all worth it because I have now reached the, the, the zenith of having acceptance, Right. And Gail, the master, becomes like, like she's horrified. She's like, I can't believe that you would say that. And Liv is like, basically accuses her of being like privileged and not ever having experienced 
the the feeling of fear of constantly being on the edge of losing your job and your ability to make a living or have a reputation or whatever, right? And later, right, um, Gail, the master, ends up finding out that Liv is actually either half white or fully white, like a Rachel Dolezal. It's not really clear. And so then she like <clears throat> flips out at her because then then it becomes this thing. Oh, because Liv had also like given this the the younger girl an F, her first F ever. And the younger girl had come to Gail and been like, I'm telling you, this professor is like wrong. She's wrong about giving me this F and I want to file, file a thing. And Gail sort of protected Liv in this, like, I got to protect the other black woman professor way. Yeah. So she didn't listen to the young black girl when she was telling her, like, this person doesn't have my back. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then it turns out she didn't. So. A lot of things here. One is also oh, by the end, uh, Gail, who had actually achieved all of the things that both Liv and Amelia, I think, was the young girl. Oh, no, I think Amelia is the white. Oh, Jasmine. Sorry. So that Jasmine and Liv both wanted to achieve. Gail got to the end. OK, and was being celebrated and written about for being the first black woman master for, you know, like being tenured, having her own house given to her, like all this shit. And she straight up walks out of the um, like the faculty party where this happened at where the last confrontation happened at and a security guard right so she's been at the school for a few years and a security guard stops her and it's like uh you know excuse me can i see your id <laughs> you know and she was like no and he was like what and she's like yeah no i don't work here i was just leaving and she just walks out of the campus and so we're just that's the end of the movie so the point of it is i think that here is a person who did all of the things that you're supposed to do and then got to the end and really realized that I, I shouldn't have done all of those things and it was for nothing. And she did walk away, even though walking away is probably some precariousness and some starting over and some humili humiliating kind of like having to accept you did wrong, <laughs> all that shit that comes with walking out on whoever you were before. And to me, like, this thing of, oh, a lot of us regret or we're all very worried that we'll one day regret how we lived our lives. I was always really worried about that before. But now, Jake, I'm starting to think that's more, it is a common problem because it is a trad problem. Everything it, back to trad. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, why you trad? This is what we do. But honestly, that's what I mean, because um it is only the people who do all the stuff that you're supposed to do because that's what you're supposed to do who really have this worry in the back of their head that they maybe did the right thing. Yeah. You know the what, thing. what their problem is, is yeah. um, they're it's they're playing the short game, right? Because yeah. like in the moment when you're at the beginning of your life and your options are like uh, take the beaten path or the wilderness, you know, yeah the bean path feels better and it feels like um you're you're beating everyone who's taken the wilderness because yeah. you have all this like social reinforcement and like i know a lot of people who just like um you know the way they explain it is like i don't know man i'm not smart i just keep my head down i just do you know what i'm told and like that's all that i'm built for you know well if you're friends with people for long enough you'll like have that conversation with them when you're 22 and then when you're fucking 40 or whatever they'll be like 
yeah so she left me and uh she took the kids with her and all this stuff and it's like you know that on a long enough timeline it switches around i think where then these people feel bad and then the people who took the wilderness are like well actually i'm like reaping the benefits of like this fucking thing at the very um, least it was like a really nice hike yeah. <laughs> you know you're like ah, yeah i got a good workout in i met some people along the way i mean there's honestly like okay, what i'm getting you know what? at is like sorry i just it just occurred to yeah. me um it the the myth of like the trad thing is permanence right because like marriage like generally doesn't work out but what you're buying into when you buy into it even knowing post like the 90s you know all those studies came out and said that uh half of marriages ended divorce pretty much everyone's marriage you know of a certain generation ended a divorce um what you're buying into though when you do it despite knowing that i think is just like the the myth and the ability to like stop thinking and like pretend like you autopilot is possible (laughs) yeah yeah, like you did the correct decision so anything that happens anything that happens to you if you've after you've convinced yourself you've made the correct decision isn't your fault it's somebody else's because you made the correct decision so like it gets the blame off of you in a weird way where it makes it like to where you um you you've given up kind of your agency you know you're just following orders or whatever and like the problem with that though is that uh 50% of marriages actually end in divorce and who knows how many doing my job (laughs) yeah (laughs) and who knows how many of them that don't end in divorce are just miserable situations anyway and like what everyone is trying to like argue their way out of is remaining like present and conscience and like um mindful of like the fucking thing that you're doing as a person like going through life but like that's obviously like a really scary thing to wake up and think about every fucking day you know you don't want to wake up and like confront your own mortality and stuff like that every day so uh i understand like why the escapism but it's like so obvious if you just look at all this stuff like on a long enough timeline that uh it's like a lie you know yeah i mean and uh... Almost is not even to defend, but maybe something like because, like for example, I do think that like ugh, I don't know, maybe I'm being too generous, but maybe they, maybe there are, maybe there are jakes and people who are like super perfectly happy with like you know like okay, I'm taking care of some kids and I don't know whatever the fuck you guys do, you know. <laughs> but I do think that the vast majority of people fall into what you're saying, right? And and that's why, like, you know, people like like to joke about us, like, oh, or me making too many trad jokes and whatever. But it's like, it's literally you all like, it's almost like, okay, whenever people started talking about whiteness, all the white people freaked out because they were like, what do you mean? Whiteness is not a thing. Whiteness is not a race. White, what, what does that mean? And it's like, yeah, we, you actually, white people defined all the rest of us as categories under the concept of being in opposition to whiteness. Therefore, when you didn't define whiteness, but you defined everything else as opposition to whiteness, you defined whiteness for us. So now we're talking about it and now you're mad about it. So I think that's what's happening with me and trads is that <laughs> when I make a joke about trads, it sounds like a like a pivy buzz, buzzy word for like a specific niche type of person, but it is not. It is actually 
just a short word for the majority of you, (laughs) the majority of people. And that's why a lot of things do come down to trad stuff because they come from our implicit acceptance or desire for or expectation of traditional forms of thinking and being. Okay. And I guess what I'm proposing to you after hearing your take on this movie or the intro of the movie and thinking about master is that I think the tendency to think about what could have been is maybe uh, very widespread amongst humanity, right? But to to consider what could have been with regret, I think is mostly the domain of trads because trads are the type of people who went unquestioningly down the beaten path. And then later we're like, shit, what might I be missing by not carving my own path through shit, right? Whereas uh, those of us, whether it's because you're an artist or because you are a radical of some form that's choosing to live radically different, then um, we obviously, I think, still will fall into the tendency to think about the path not walked. But our fear and our hesitancy or our feeling about that walk, that path not walked is more about a fear because of our lack of security, right? Because it is more dangerous it is less, um, there will be less accolades and less pats on the head <laughs> and less people helping you on the way when you walk your own path. And that's scary. And that's maybe like, we may look at the path not walked with like longing for the safety and comfort of tradition sometimes. But personally, I don't think we do with regret or fear of what we missed out on. Yeah, I don't think so. I also think um, this autopilot thing is kind of interesting because, like, you know, that movie, Every, Everything Everywhere All at Once, I was talking about. Part of the reason that kind of lost me in the second act, spoiler alert again, is because uh, mm-hmm. when I realized it was about this woman, like, considering all of the other things she could have done with her life, I thought it was heading in this direction where she was going to, like, figure that out because she started to, like, Oh, another thing that happens is she realizes that her husband is trying to divorce her. She finds like divorce papers and stuff. Mm -hmm. And so then she starts to take like an active role in being like, well, fuck you, dude. Like, you know, I never should have been with you and all this stuff. And so I, I thought it was going to become an anti-trad movie and she was going to be like, I embrace all these other timelines and become, you know, whatever an amalgamation of them or whatever Mm -hmm. meta thing that was going on with the movie was. Yeah. But what's weird is at the end of the movie, she like fucking falls back in love with her husband. And I kind of was like, ah, oh, man, fuck this. But now that I'm thinking about it, it actually kind of works because the problem, like, you know, I don't hate trads. I what's the what's wrong with them is not what they're doing. It's well, not necessarily all of the stuff that they're doing. Some of it's wrong, but like <laughs> uh the autopilot thing is the worst part. I think you can be someone who chose to like go have a family and stuff totally and be like a good person but that what you have to do is wake up every day and be like active and mindful of it and stuff like that and take like an active role in it because all of the like social evils that come out of tradness are from the autopilot and like the laziness exactly and then the pushing all of the other stuff onto other people you know and going that's what i was gonna say is the second part the first part is for sure the autopilot, but the second part is this like um, ex- 
you know what it is? It's that they frame all of their dissatisfaction, any dissatisfaction that they have with their own life as a everyone else is doing it wrong thing instead of just like recognizing that maybe something that you're unhappy with is like a thing about your choices in your life. Uh, Like that fucking dude that just wrote this article, the David French one, I think how consent culture damaged what was it? Consent was never enough. How consent culture damaged us, the sexual morality or some shit. Just horrible shit, dude. And so then it's like, um, yeah, the, the second part is definitely this idea that um, they most trads in the middle who are bad are um, not just fully invested in them being on autopilot and walking the beaten path, but they are extremely invested in going against anyone who isn't walking that path. And that is extremely sort of like self-hate turned outwards kind of shit you know yeah. what I mean? yeah where they're just like i can't possibly let you get to the finish line or to the top of the mountain or whatever the fuck however you want to frame that the metaphor but i can't let you move on or live your life or go down your path in any way that's different than mine because then that would invalidate my belief that this is the only way and then that would mean that i fucked up because i had choices and i never even acknowledged them <laughs> and i never even perused them yeah, there's also kind of like a catch 22 at the heart of this that I think you see with just like conservatives and reactionaries and shit in general, like even like economically, like take people that just believe in capitalism. I mean, the same thing exists with these social issues, I think, but like with like dork guys that are just like into capitalism, yeah. they have this belief about it that it's like a perfect system and the you know, it it's it's logic like naturally sort of will sort out all things into a just society you talk to one of these guys and you go well why isn't that happening and they go well it's because of all these things that are doing that are happening to like um make it impure to like fuck mm-hmm. up the thing they go well well then i guess it isn't a perfect fucking system is it and they're like yeah no no no, no, no. everything is not wrong because of capitalism it's wrong in spite of it and it's like yeah. well you're never going to get to a situation this is very psychological you know if you really like th- believe in something and have faith in something you can live your entire life with it never fucking working but you're always making excuses for it. You know, Um, it's not, it cannot fail. It can only be failed like the traditional way of life, you know? Well, to flip it in a way that maybe we'll get, if any of these conservative dorks are still listening to us um, to get what we're saying, I think it's, if you flip it to the other side, um, the uh, wait, I totally just blinked. I don't know what I was saying. (laughs) What are you saying? I was talking about how capitalism can't, (laughs) fail it can only be fail. oh yeah sorry okay yeah as you were talking it made me think of like how it's funny that they'll think of they'll frame capitalism as a system that is perfect it's just the conditions which are not allowing it to flourish in its perfect form and yet when they talk about communism or socialism they'll be like it's a failed idea it never worked right. it never worked <laughs> and it's like uh all we're telling you is that it's a good idea and it never had the good the right situation for it to flourish into the right things and it didn't actually have the capitalism doesn't actually have anybody trying to destroy it i mean it has like a bunch of us who love to say we are and who are doing like small grassroots things to do it but it's like a literal throwing a rocket goliath kind of situation so we're not doing that um but in the reverse i think hopefully 
some conservatives would try to understand that we understand what you're saying, but what we're proposing is our idea is better. <laughs> and we've already tried yours for a very long, bloody, murderous time. Uh, so, you know, let's give it a shot. Yeah. And I mean, with like the normie path, like social side of this, you have yeah. people that get really hung up on like um, something you'll see from like hardcore trad people, which, you know, I think we can understand to just be shorthand for like proto-fascists or fascists at this point yeah it's like um they talk a lot about uh the the debased uh what do you call it fucking what's the ten dollar word here um you know the the socially like immoral fucked up crazy people on the left or whatever you see like political cartoons morally corrupt yeah there's a word yeah. for it that fascists use that i'm like just blanking on but it's yeah. like um it's uh degenerate degenerate is degenerate okay. yeah like they'll always joke about like right-wing guys always joke about like you know oh people with blue hair and 10 gender <laughs> stuff and, and 10 then, genders <laughs> <laughs> i see i could be a better right-wing comedian than any mm-hmm. other. Uh, <laughs> but like what they're getting at i think is that like they're version of society would be working if not for these like the reason things are fucked up is because of these other people who are like you know getting in the way of the nuclear family and the fucking man at the head of the family and the patriarchy and all this stuff that's like the natural order or whatever and it's crazy because what they don't understand is that you know, most things that are fucked up about society can be tracked back to the patriarchy and the, the fucking and nuclear family and all this yeah. stuff because, like, that's the thing that's actually winning and in charge. Mm-hmm. You know, and killing us. Yeah, it's yeah. an insane distortion of logic to be like, um, oh, no, 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 no. It's because of uh, you know these social outliers who are just like this fly in the ointment or whatever. But it's like, I don't know. I mean, I've been thinking about it a lot because I also just read like. Lenin's thing on the imperialism it's called the highest stage of capitalism is like his Mm -hmm. book on it and like uh he talks about this interesting thing and it just pretty pretty basic left stuff I think the but it isn't understood very commonly which is that um in the imperial core you know in in a place like the United States you have um you know you have like a thing called a labor aristocracy so like you used to be when Marx wrote in the beginning, you know, it was just kind of like everyone's a worker and then there's a boss. And then we all know we work for the boss and that's why we're poor. Right. But as like capitalism evolved and especially evolved across borders and became like imperialistic, we have a place like the United States where there are a lot of people that are technically in the working class, but do not like think of themselves the way that those factory workers thought like that's my boss and he's keeping me down. Because what we have is a distortion of everything because like um, we have so much wealth being extracted from client states of the United States. So you have people whose lives would not actually be like good if capitalism was a closed system within one country that they lived in. But because all of the resources that make the middle class or whatever like comfortable in this country are coming from countries that the united states like extracts shit from that we have like this weird uh distortion of like like seeing it as a closed loop like what every life in america is great it's great for a lot of people we're probably just doing stuff right because what i think people then see 
what people in America think is that states are just like different, like um, athletes in a competition, like different, <laughs> you know, and yeah. if one's doing better, then it's just because everyone within it is working harder and like nothing is actually there are not any, like economic lines linked between these fucking states. You know what I mean? But like if if uh, if it weren't for neoliberalism and like outsourcing all of this business and stuff to other countries, then you would have to like you'd have to live like the people that all the values extracted from in third world countries that then makes things better here. So like because like because <laughs> but that's like if you don't know that. I mean, I almost understand why people are just told like, what things are in America, things in America are great. What are these fucking liberals and leftists or whatever complaining about? These people are out of their fucking minds. It, because of that distortion, I think you're able to then, I guess this is like what I'm getting at is I'm trying to figure out how fascism works and how like where the scapegoat comes in and where you're able to like be start um, alienating and like blaming all like the tiny fucking problems that we have in this country compared to other countries on like, um, well, it must be, you know, some fucking member of the surplus population or something, or it must be, I mean, the trad thing is like, yeah, it's the blue hair guy and the chick with the yeah. earring or whatever. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I'm glad we both had good movie watching stuff. I, uh, I want to throw out a uh, completely unrelated and perhaps weird uh, observation (laughs) Uh, about um, Gerard Carmichael's, just Gerard Carmichael, I guess, (laughs) Uh, which is that uh, sort of related to this, which is why I bring it up, but kind of left field. Uh, So I haven't seen the whole special. I started it. Gerard Carmichael has a new special uh, on HBO, whatever. You can check it out if you have an HBO Max password. Um, And uh it got leaked before seeing the thing which is kind of unfortunate but i guess during the special he comes out as gay right and something that i thought was really interesting is that uh he also hosted saturday night live this weekend which i don't watch but and i don't ever really like watch too many clips or anything but i saw that he was hosting in the clip of him his uh whatever what do you call it like intro speech <laughs> is like uh circulating so i watched it and man here two things one is gerard has probably one of my favorite anti-trad jokes that i've ever heard in my life and it was a joke that like uh it's in his second special and i was at it when i was recording and it was a joke that bombed in the room jake that it was like so anti-trad that like people gasped gasped okay <laughs> And it was a joke that I think he like purposely put in between two good jokes because he knew like it had get it would get this reaction. But it was so fucking funny and hilarious and such an insightful dig at heterosexual relationships and our expectations of them and how they're fantasies. Right. And then fast forward a couple of years, a few years, uh, it gets leaked. You know, his new special is coming out and he comes out as gay during it. And then he hosts SNL and I watch his intro thingy. And Jake, this is where the weird observation comes in. I have never seen him as free and loose as he was on that Saturday Night Live intro thing. Like dressed, um, just like showing more skin and more flashy of an outfit than I've ever seen him in anything, even like live. Like he's always been 
a jeans and sweatshirt type of guy, like clean, but like, you know, just like, don't notice me. <laughs> and I'm very just like, I'm a notebook guy, right? Don't down jokes. If you even watch him on stage, he's usually the type of comic who's like, doesn't move. It's very one, one tone energy he holds his notebook and his mic directly in front of his face. And like, very just like no movement is happening on stage, a super controlled performer. And on Saturday Night Live, he's like not only just like dressed so fun and flamboyant, honestly, which I know is like a gay coded word, but that's not even I don't even mean that he looked gay. I just mean he looked like a performer. He looked like he wanted eyes on him for the first time yeah. that I've ever seen him in that way. And then he was like moving more freely around the stage than I've ever seen him do. And it really made me think, like, first of all, maybe this is where, what I think is like the weird observation is that it really made me think about how a lot of times maybe what we attribute to like uh, per- performing gayness is uh, can or should be maybe read as um, a complete liberation from the super controlled um and sort of scared attitude that one would have if you're like terrified that somebody will find out you are weird or different or not normal you know like yeah it's uh, like um yeah pressurized or like um you know what is the fucking word i'm looking for like an elastic band like snapping yeah just extremely tight yeah and i feel like that's what i always saw and he was a very good comic doing that but it's so exciting to see what he will become as a comic now that he has this like loose freedom to be himself physically and like performatively. And so then the second thing it just made me really think about is what we have been talking about today of this, like, or sort of kind of like hinting at the freedom in walking the not, not tread path. Yeah, you're right. Because like the the temptation to like, yeah, oh, it would be safe to do the other path is like the same thing as like, what if I put on this gray drab sweater and no yeah. one looks at me and all this stuff and like, and then it'll just be about my jokes and nobody has to like look at my face or ask me about my relationships. <laughs> yeah, that's like totally a thing. Yeah. Like I've known, I mean, I knew trans people before they came out, and then mm-hmm. when they came out, I was like, oh, you dress like nothing. This made so much sense. And yeah. Like, there's this old TV show that was on Comedy Central like one time, but I just remember watching it when I was growing up. It was, uh, yeah. it was during Queer Eye for the Straight Guy the first time around when it was called the whole sentence Queer Eye for the Straight Guy. Yeah, They did a special on uh, Comedy Central called Straight Plan for the Gay Man. And it was like, a- <laughs> I don't remember that. Oh, my God. <laughs> it was like a documentary game show type thing where they took a bunch of um gay dudes and like they had straight guys coach them and go oh like, my god you know, can you can we make one of you guys pass as a gay guy or as a straight guy or whatever and you know it was like of a certain era and all sorts of mm-hmm, problematic mm-hmm. like standards yeah, it was fucking funny when, when we when we would call people metrosexuals yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like that. and like it was uh you know it was kind of funny and but i remember the guy who won specifically i don't know it's always stuck with me this is the the gay dude who was able to pass um and like because i think the way they did it is at the end of it they had people vote and like who do you think was the gay guy in this like basketball game or whatever and they would uh you know pick somebody they picked a different guy the one who won did it by just wearing like gray and like shaving his head and just like not really talking much and just like becoming like a nothing which is like 
I don't know. It always kind of haunted me. I was like, man, that's like what people do when they're not able to like be themselves, you know? Yeah. And, but like with the trad stuff, you know, it's like people embrace it. <laughs> they're like, I like stuffing down parts of myself because like, then you don't have to deal with the scary, you know, part of life, which is like being yourself yeah. out there and shit. Well, but if you let me borrow our LGBTQ uh, peers as an example here, um, when uh, they are in the closet, they can often go so far as to have full families and, and cis relationships, right? And have like a beard and the whole deal, right? So I would say to you that to a certain extent for a lot of trad people, uh, the insistence on like how much they love trad shit is sort of a beard where they're trying to convince themselves and others that they're happy with their choices yeah. and less that the, that they are actually are. Because I'll tell you something. There are, there are, uh, we have listeners who are uh, people who have children, who are married, who have made some traditional choices, but they aren't really trads because they um, are already people who have been thoughtful before they got into the trad path, you know, and like maybe walked their own path for a while before they decided to like, okay, carrying a baby along this weird path would be a good idea now <laughs> or like whatever. Um and I don't think, so I don't think it's the same. You know what I mean? Like I, I think that it, the people that I have met who actually are happy and comfortable with the traditional choices that they've met, made, they're never trying to shove it down other people's throat. They're never yeah. trying to convince other people that they're happy. They're never trying to get other people's validation on what kind of parents they are. They are they're doing what they're doing and they're happy with their choices in the same way that I'm doing what I'm doing. And I'm happy with my choices. You know what I mean? Like I'm not looking at any other paper or whatever. And that I respect. It's the ones that are out here doing what you're saying, the pretending, <laughs> they're really trying to sell it so hard when it's like, dude, why are you trying to sell the thing that like comes free with the happy meal for everyone? Yeah. You don't need to sell it to us. It it really sounds like you're trying to sell it to yourself. And so, yeah, no. And, you know, I like to make my jokes, but I think I've, I've tried to clarify in personal conversations with people, at least, that I don't think any, that making any traditional choice is necessarily bad. It's making an unexamined autopilot choice that is bad. That's the one that usually then results in this in weird regret, yeah. regurgitation where then you get angry at somebody who reminds you of yourself, totally. a different version of yourself, Dude. you know. And then probably also at your kid for not like being whatever you think they should live up to or live just in... like the movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's fucking weird. So, yeah, I mean, I, learn I from us, your non non-trad friends. <laughs> yeah. I think about that a lot because somebody tweeted at me the other day, like, you're 35, you should have a kid and, and family <laughs> and stuff. It was just like some dumbass comedy idiot fan yeah. person. Um, and I was just like, absolutely like not. But this is so funny. <laughs> it's so telling that that's what made you angry at me, I guess, is because I think what's going on with someone who would get angry at me online and that's their specific gripe is their kind of processing that they would rather be 
35 and uh living a really fun life in brooklyn with no kids (laughs) (laughs) and like the only way to deal with that is to make it into like an enemy you're a loser yeah exactly you're a failure you couldn't do what i did uh well you know what i'm gonna go swim with seals this weekend um you yeah. guys enjoy your diaper changing or whatever it is your hobbies are. <laughs> oh, no. oh man, you know what? This conversation made me feel a lot better. I know, me too. I'm in a better mood. See, this is what <sighs> podcasts are for. I was just out of, straight out of a nap into a podcast. It's pretty hard. Um, <laughs> look at us complaining, complaining about our first world problems. We don't even have babies. We don't even have to clean up after anybody right now. <laughs> ah, I don't okay. know. My cat is pretty gross. Oh, gross. Yeah, no, go do something about that. I know, I gotta go clean his litter box. Okay, well... Um... All right, say hi to Murray. Uh, people, write us some emails. We are not going to do a mailbag this week because I'm tired and in a bad mood. Well, not anymore, but you know what? Tired. Uh, write us emails. Um, I actually think that like all these fuckers are like enjoying the Discord and talking to each other and <laughs> not sending us emails. So... Oh, I see, I see, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we're getting some, but... Stop being friends with each other if you're not going to send us emails. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Enjoy your lives. Whatever the fuck. Uh, whyamadpod at gmail.com. Uh, oh, also, I have plugs. Oh, my God. Um, link is now up on all my shit and, like, on the babies. All right. Blah, blah, blah. But April 18th, I have a show hosted by Gary Goldman, and it features Nori Davis Martin Urbano and uh, Emmy Blotnick. So it'll be good. And maybe some drop-ins. Come hang out. Cool. Uh, what about you? My plugs are, I guess this will be coming out. Tour time. When do you leave on tour? Uh, In like two weeks. But uh, oh, okay. know, we have time. Forever. Okay. No, the 6th, this Wednesday, when this will be coming out, I'm doing a spot at Two Boots Pizza in Williamsburg at 8 o'clock. Mm. If you want to come watch that. Um, But my main plugs are... Yeah, so I'm coming to Austin. I've got a couple of shows I'll put up. I think one on the 13th, one on the 16th during the prestigious Moon Tower Comedy Festival. Not uh, technically not affiliated with, but during mm-hmm. Moon Tower. Hell yeah, all show, baby. <laughs> uh, I'm doing some spots in Austin leading up to what's happening on the 19th, which is the start of the tour with Eve Six at the Mohawk. Um, and then I'm going to be on tour from there. You know all about it. Go watch me, Eve Six, and We Are the Union and Catbite and a bunch of other people on this tour. Uh, if you live somewhere in the country, because we're going all over the country. Um, if you live somewhere in the country, what the fuck did I just say? Uh, and also, if you are living in New York, please come to my live show, Meet Space. I won't be hosting, but I'm going to Skype in or something. I'm not sure. <laughs> That'd be awesome. <laughs> uh, there's two of them, but I'm gonna be on tour, and I want to keep. Doing I can bring it. my laptop and just like stand on stage and be like, "Jake has an announcement he would like to make." <laughs> <laughs> be on like an iPad. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I mean, I might even be on. Like, I might be on stage somewhere else while this is happening. But, yeah. Uh, but I got like our friends Gabe Pacheco and Max Bruno to host the shows and stuff. And my uh, lovers. No, only one of them is. My I was lovers. gonna say, wow. I uh, <laughs> up to uh, up to all of you to guess which one. <laughs> <laughs> Um. Yeah, I only yeah only poly amorous people can host. Only poly people can host my show. Yeah, it's not my show. See, that's how poly I am. I'm like everything is mine. <laughs> Everyone is my partner. <laughs> but uh, yeah, go check out Meet Space while I'm out of town. Check out my tour with Eve Six if you're in one of these other cities. Uh, listen to Pod Damn America. That's it. 
So excited for your tour, dude. I'm going to go see, um, I believe the date is what may, let me plug the New York date just because then people can come hang out with us. It'll be so cool. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. When the fuck is it? Hold on. Oh, here we go. It's the 4th, May 4th. Ooh, like the fucking Star Wars shit or whatever. Yeah. See, you can't forget it. May the 4th be with Eve 6 and Jake. Come see us at Poisson Rouge. By us, I mean them, but I'll be getting drunk in the back enjoying life. Oh, at least they'll be there. (laughs) Yeah. No, but you can't talk to me, though. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm kidding. I'll be there. It'll be fine. And my friend Allison is going. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a great time. All right. Cool. All right. That's it. Bye.